0: Hello, listeners. It's Zach Lucero here to intro the first episode of Season 2 of Unafraid. We're really excited for this upcoming season. We're going to be exploring taboos, and so... Get ready for some difficult conversations with some super interesting people. Um, Thank you so much for your patience as we're on hiatus due to life and and all kinds of other things that got in the way of recording this great podcast. Also, I'd just like to take a second to shout out one of my high school students, Carson Dial. He's getting into music production and he has created a new theme song for this podcast. And so we'll include a, a link to his SoundCloud in the show notes and ways that you can support him. But without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome to the Unafraid Podcast, hosted on the OKC First Podcast Network. We are back! Season two. We're back! My name is Zach Lucero, and I am the youth and creative pastor here at OKC First. On the couch, as always, the man who can land a dad joke so well that it gives his kids eye-roll concussions, Senior Pastor John North
1: Taylor uh, actually has uh, multiple concussions and uh, has to wear one of those funky hats to play soccer now because... <laughs> Of how she has reacted to my dad jokes. (laughs) Wait, what kind of hat are you talking about? It's like a glorified headband. It's a headband? I'm making all this up.
0: Oh, I thought I was thinking like the tinfoil hat. No, the thing... No.
1: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if
2: you don't give your kids concussions, are you really parenting well?
1: If your kids don't roll their eyes at your dad jokes, are you a dad?
2: Exactly. So
1: I don't think... By the way, are moms capable of dad jokes?
2: I mean... Probably.
1: (laughs) Should we re... re uh, characterize them as parent jokes. Of, uh, no,
2: they're they're dad jokes. <laughs> no, they're,
0: okay, they're all, right. Jokes. All, right. all right, no, it's a, it's a whole genre. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. have you seen those videos of guys like two guys going at it, like trying to make each other laugh? I have. I love those. Those are great. Yeah, I think there's one with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg that you would just find
1: delicious. That's the one that I have. I really do like. Yeah. Although the rappers do it too. That's true. Showed me some of the rappers that were doing it. Yeah. And That's what they mean by a rap battle. In between rolling his eyes at me. So. Oh.
0: Well, you know what? That's his thing. Anyways, so you probably heard another voice uh, on the couch. Uh, also is Alicia Limke McLean. And you know what? We wrote two different titles in here. So I'm actually going to let you introduce yourself, uh, as whatever you want. So tell us about who you are and why you're here.
2: Sure. I am a longtime member of the Church of the Nazarene. I have two daughters, teen girls. Um, who are also members of this church. And I am a psychologist and professor teaching at the University of Central Oklahoma. My background is in social personality psychology, and I do research in self-concept and relationships.
0: That is great. And you also, you have two girls in my youth group. I do. And they're awesome. So we're going to shout them out because they may listen to this podcast. They don't know. might. Do kids listen to podcasts?
2: Yes. They do. Yes.
0: What do they? Which which podcasts do they listen to? Well, not this one. No, no
2: I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. They probably do.
1: Probably Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, does she have a podcast? If she doesn't, if she does, they're listening to it. That's true. That's what I'd say. So is my wife. But oh, who loves Taylor Swift? And Pastor Tamara Hughes would that's also true. be listening to such a podcast. She's probably, a Swiftie. probably the biggest Swifty on our staff. Oh, <laughs>
0: no question if, about it, it. Yeah, other than Mike Laughlin, but oh. um that's not true, Mike. No. I don't even know if he knows who Taylor Swift is. But um, anyways, so we're here today to talk about divorce. Uh, divorce in general, but more specifically yeah. as it pertains to the church um, as a taboo, but also as a response um, as a church. And so I just wanted to make sure up front that I give a disclaimer of sorts that we're going to be diving into um Alicia's story a little bit, but also just generally uh, in the realm of divorce. So if this is something that is hard for you, um, if this is um, something uh, that you are going through or it's sensitive or anything like that, um, just proceed with caution. Um, This is going to be a good resource, but also a tough conversation. So we just want to make sure upfront that you know, we will be talking about divorce.
1: Right. So Alicia in the room has all kinds of, of credibility and experience and education and a personal story. And, and you and I have neither one of those things. Right. So while we can, uh, or we can talk about divorce, I think, I think what we need to do today is focus on how we can be better at, at wrapping our arms around people who have experienced divorce. And that, and, and by that, I mean, both the spouses and the, and the kids that are affected by divorce, because we typically don't, we haven't as a church done well with that for generations. No, we generally don't like to talk about any of this
0: because of uh, the tab, just the general taboo that it has been for years, uh, for decades, centuries even, because of uh, the sin aspect that uh, that is tied to it, but also just the the discomfort that is tied to it and kind of the awkwardness. Uh, you know, we've had couples divorce in our church, and... There are there are things that go along with that, like taking sides and
1: um, and the some. sin that may or may not be a part of it. Sure, exactly, right. And yet, not too long ago, one of our one of our members, just one of our wonderful wonderful members, posted on Facebook a question. Since we have a a meal train, which is a way that we serve people uh, with meals, let's say. When when someone passes away or is in the hospital, we were pretty good at rallying and bringing meals. Well, this 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 young woman asked, "Well, why don't we do that for people who have suffered a divorce?" And it was like a stunning moment, and we recognized in that moment that yes, we have to grow toward this this understanding of the traumatic, the trauma associated with divorce, and we have to do better. Now we got We need to stop stop talking so that Alicia could talk now. Sure. But but that's kind of where this all started, mm. Alicia. Like we and you actually chimed in on that. I did. Um help us, I mean, and tell us as much of your story as you want to tell us, but uh I think I would I would also want you to talk about like what we've already said, how we can we can better wrap our arms around you and Mike and the girls and, and sure. all of that.
2: Sure. I was gonna back up for just a second and say I love that we're having this conversation, because what we know, the statistics are that half of all first marriages, two-thirds of all second marriages, three-quarters of all third marriages end in divorce. And this isn't just happening outside the church. I mean, these are couples and families in the church that are experiencing divorce. Right. And so I'm glad that we're having this conversation, because it's really necessary. Uh, My personal story, short version of it is that um, I started dating when I was 16, well, 15 and a half, beginning of my sophomore year of high school. And the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, um, I met my ex-husband. We actually met through Youth Fest, Mm -hmm. um, through the Church of the Nazarene, Mm -hmm. going to two competing churches and youth groups. And um, both grew up Nazarene, both with... Parents who are still married to this day um, with grandparents who remained married until death separated them. So both in families in which marriage was the reality and divorce wasn't something that was even considered. And we started dating when I was 17 and he was 19. He was just out of high school and I was about to start my senior year. And within months had decided that we were going to get married and had a promise ring um, within just a couple of months of dating, and the moment that I graduated from high school, engaged, um, and then a year after that, married. So we were married when I was nineteen, and he was twenty one. Um, I would say probably neither one of us far enough along in our own personal development to be ready for marriage. And uh, research suggests that that's probably the case for a lot of people marrying at that age. Um, but also, extremely different individuals other than our religious beliefs at the time. We were extremely different. Um, He's a person who likes country music and NASCAR and rodeos, um, who isn't really that interested in education. And I'm a person who likes operas and ballets and musicals and plays and sporting events and rock music and a lot of K love. And, um, Obviously, education is my life, teaching in higher education um, with a doctorate degree. So you can see there that even attitudes and interests are were different from the beginning. We were sort of willing to put those things aside to be together. And as the relationship progressed, those became more and more important. Um, research also suggests that one of the biggest, the biggest reason that couples fight, um, isn't finances, although that's a pretty big one.
0: Kind it's, of shocking, actually.
2: It is kind of shocking. It's actually over <clears throat> household division. So who's supposed to do what? Hmm. So there, we had a lot of differences in terms of what we thought were going to be the way that we raised our family and who was in charge of doing what hmm. and who was in charge of doing which kinds of household chores and how the division of labor would happen, which caused a lot of um, arguments. We had differences of opinion about... Um, the way that we thought that the relationship should work in terms of who was in charge and, and other kinds of things like that, um, parenting. And over the course of the relationship, um, things deteriorated. Um, I, sometimes it feels very quickly, and sometimes it feels like it took a long time. About 15 years into the relationship, um, things really came to a head, and that was the first time that I asked for a divorce, um, but it took another year for separation to happen and almost an additional year after that for the divorce to be granted. Hmm. So we were married by the time the divorce was final, 17 and a half years. Wow.
0: Why, why, why does it take that long?
2: Um, so for the, the 15 years for me to ask for the divorce the first time... I think a lot of that had to do with being raised in the church um, and growing up with the understanding that scripturally, the only reason that individuals are given as legitimate excuse for divorce is infidelity, Mm. and neither one of us cheated. And so that was a really difficult place to be, was the idea that um, a divorce might be necessary for something other than infidelity. I think there's also some kind of sense that, you know, if a woman's walking around with a black eye, we can forgive that too, right? Yeah. If, she, if she leaves him, that's fine. But any other reasons seem to be not okay. And both of us knew that it wouldn't be okay with our parents. Um, I knew from my own research and from my background that divorce isn't a good thing for kids. Like there was so much other stuff going on to keep us together. But I think a huge part of it had to do with a religious upbringing, and our unwillingness as a church to talk about divorce and what causes it and what happens afterwards and Mm -hmm. everything else associated with it.
1: Do you think it was also the result of not having good or productive ways to talk about marriage?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know what I
1: mean? Absolutely. Divorce, I wonder if divorce in the church happens sometimes because we haven't talked well enough about marriage.
2: I think that's probably true.
1: And covenants.
2: And I, my parents are amazing. I love them dearly. And my parents will probably um, dispute what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> but I never saw them fight okay. growing up. So the, the way that it worked is that my mom would want something. And unless my dad really felt very strongly about it, he did whatever she wanted still does to this day. He absolutely adores her. Um, And that was great. That was beautiful. But what I didn't ever see was their ability to disagree about something and have Mm -hmm. a constructive argument and then watch the resolution of that. And so that was was a really difficult thing for me to see what marriage looks like when it's hard. Yeah. Because I never saw it looking hard. Right. Um, So I think – but I think that that's true for more than just me.
1: No, I absolutely agree. And, and, and I do think that at least contributes to divorce. By the way, the, the recent statistics seem to indicate that the divorce rate inside the church and inside the Church of the Nazarene is the same yeah, exactly. as it is for outside the Church of Nazarene, outside evangelicalism, outside the church. So, and I do think that sometimes uh, the church's inability to have constructive conversations, not only about marriage, but how to disagree Christianly, Right, contributes to divorce. It also contributes to unhealthy marriages. Uh, so I wonder, I think we're actually having multiple conversations at one time.
2: That's <laughs> probably true.
1: Right, not just about divorce and how we can hopefully help people circumnavigate around some of these issues so that they don't have to be divorced, but we also need to be aware that it's important that we talk about what does make for a healthy relationship and, and what healthy disagreement looks like. Um, I don't think we do any of those things, and I think people reach a breaking point. It seems to me, 13 years into the senior pastor role, it seems to me that that people out of loyalty and uh, Christian loyalty uh, and out of this deep sense of uh, a threatened shame, they will stick with something that is ultimately unhealthy for both spouses and perhaps for the kids in the name of, of Christianity. And I'm all for fighting to keep a marriage together, right? But I but I think we probably if we're going to have that opinion, no, you should stay together, then we should also be just as diligent to have better conversations and resources available to people so that it doesn't reach that unhealthy stage where a divorce is what the only thing that, the last thing that makes sense. Right I
2: completely agree with that yeah.
0: so you you mentioned that you guys were you guys both grew up in the church, and I assume you're going somewhere um when you guys were married. Uh, what was the response of the church? what was that dynamic like um and, and what were some of the challenges that you
2: faced? That's a really interesting question in part because we were extremely involved in the church that we were attending um I was. Previous Sunday school superintendent on Mm. the board, part of the praise team. Um, My kids were involved in children's ministries at the time. Um, Some of my best friends were at that church, people that I um, would hang around with quite often, but my ex-husband's family was also at that church. And so, and not just parents, siblings, grandparents. So... I didn't necessarily feel a negative outcome with the church. Um, They never responded negatively to me um, specifically, Mm -hmm. but there was a feeling that I had that out of respect for the family that I couldn't continue to go. So that they didn't have to continue to see me with the split having happened. So at that time, I left that church And started attending Bethany First Church, where I was attending divorce care classes, which was the absolute most amazing thing that I could have done, something Mm -hmm. that my sister recommended to me, and then started attending a women's Sunday school class,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um, which we lovingly referred to as the broken women's Sunday school class, Mm -hmm. Um, and was a beautiful point of talking about healing, and most of the women in that class were either going through divorce or having had been through divorce, um, were celebrating recovery, something else like that. And then when I met my current husband, we decided that we wanted to establish a church home together as a family, and immediately started coming here.
1: And we're better for it. <laughs> well, for thank you. Here. For real. For reals. Said so you're in the praise team, and you obviously have an alto voice, will you sing a little bit for us now? And just, <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> Just a few bars of yeah, uh, yeah uh, so alive. The Via Dolorosa. La <laughs> Let's go. Uh, <laughs> no? Okay. Well, no, we'll move on no, then. No. So I think we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but why don't why don't we touch the wound a little bit? Why do you think Alicia? And I know you wear several hats. You you wear the hat of someone who has been through this this painful experience, but you're also a psychologist and an educator. In a long time, Nazarene, right? Uh, why is ta- Why is divorce so hard for us to talk about in the church? Why? Why is that such a, a struggle for us as Christians and Nazarenes?
2: I think part of the reason that it's difficult in the church is the same reason that it's difficult overall. Okay. So, first of all, with the church, as I mentioned, there is that issue of it feeling like it's sinful, right? Passages that have been quoted about do not divorce, right? And the only thing that is considered to be a legitimate reason biblically is the idea of infidelity. But I think another reason why it's difficult in the church, but also difficult outside the church, is that we feel like if there's divorce that's happening, there has to be blame. Right. We have to know who the offending party is. Right. And we need to know the details so that we can. Hold one party up—that's right. the party that we will help, and support, and the rally victim. behind. The victim, the victim, mm-hmm. and then the other party is the one that we will ostracize, right?
1: The perpetrator,
2: right? And so I think that that's definitely true in the church, but I think that's that's true outside the church as well.
1: Is—is is it? <laughs> um, there are some people more cynical than me, who would say that the church is where the judgmental people gather. Now, I think that can be true. So is there a sense in which the divorcee, whether it be the perpetrator or the victim? Well, I'll say, I'll say it like this. I think church people can have that same gut reaction to it. Someone is to blame, someone is the victim, if there is a divorce, there must have been some sort of crime involved, right? But that's that, to me, is representative of the way that some of those same people would view all of life. There is always blame to go around. I guess all of that to, to ask this question, I, I wonder if there is a deeper issue that may be theological in nature. Why Why are we all the time looking for someone to blame? Why does there have to be a victimizer?
2: Yeah. From a psychological standpoint, yeah. there's a theory called belief in a just world. Okay. And so individuals who are really high in belief in a just world, which is associated with predictability, to the extent that I believe the world is just, that is that people get what they deserve, okay then life is predictable and it makes it more comfortable. So if I can... Blame one of the two parties in that relationship for the divorce, then I can think they got what they deserved. Mm. I can say that couple, that person got what they deserved, and then I can protect myself from ending up in the same situation.
1: I see. Okay. So blaming, finding a perpetrator, which often means you also find a victim, is a way of of building some sense of protection around myself.
2: Absolutely, it's one of the reasons why we victim blame individuals who've been raped. Yeah. Because if she asked for it because of what she was wearing, then as long as I don't wear that, I'm protected. It won't happen to me.
1: Unbelievable. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, I mean, <laughs> sorry, it... I didn't no. mean to go.
0: No, that's great. No, that's
1: that's a beautiful so thing. Sense. It's a beautiful thing in that. It's another one of these situations where I think the theological and the psychological overlap. Yeah. And I and I think attention given to the habits and practices, which is language we use around here all the time, affects change right there, like over a period of time. I think it can happen. Let me let me ask you this uh, again, borrow from your experience and and tell us All right, I have I have two ways of asking the same question. Okay. Kind of the question is why was it painful? Okay. So what What happened that was painful, what was done that was painful, and then what wasn't done that might also have been painful?
2: Okay. I think one of the most painful parts of the experience for me, I mean, because it did take 13 months of asking for divorce before the separation occurred, I was ready for the separation from my ex when it happened. I had, as much as you can prepare yourself, prepared myself for that loss, but what I wasn't prepared for were all the other losses. And this is something I mentioned oh, okay. in the Facebook post, right? So I wasn't prepared for every other week not having my children. And in all honesty, that was the first time in my entire adult life I'd ever lived alone. Mm-hmm. I had moved from my parents' house into after marriage into living with my ex-husband. So I had never been an adult living alone. And so when my kids weren't there, I was alone. And I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, And, and still to this day, it's been five years, still to this day, um, holidays without my kids, Mm. it's, it's rough. The other things that I wasn't prepared for though, were all the other things that you grieve, all the other things that you miss. 17 and a half years, I was married. So nieces and nephews that were born during that period of time, um, you know, I'm, they're getting married and I'm not going to the wedding, you know, those kind of, they've been in my life their entire lives. Or um, just about a year after, I'm trying to remember exactly when, a year or two after we divorced, um, his grandmother passed away. And then that like, can I go to the mm. funeral? Can mm. I not go? I didn't. And I regret it.
1: Mm. Let me let me uh, narrow focus our focus even more. I mean, you you described a family, a church system uh, that would have been hard for me too, I mean, to have so many of my ex's family members there and right. involved, and to have them so used to me being involved, right. right? What, what within the realm of your relationship to the church what was hurtful about that? And and again, I'll ask the same question: What was done that was painful? And then what wasn't done that might have been helpful? At the church,
2: yeah. Well, to their credit, yeah. Um, my ex's family, they're they're wonderful. And we still have a pretty good relationship. I have a pretty good relationship with almost every single one of them.
1: Hang on. I think you're supposed to hate your ex. Is what, what I, everything I read tells me <laughs>
2: they, you're
1: supposed to hate your ex and all, you haven't burned them all in effigy.
2: No, no. In fact, um, I, I mean, absolutely adore his parents. So we... and Beautiful. And we... He and I even get along relatively well, as yeah. well as you can get along post-divorce. Yeah. So we we do shared parenting, I think, as well as you can do that. But they never asked me to leave. They okay. never pushed me out. I want to be really clear about that. Right, right. So, but one thing that the church didn't do that I wish they would have done is reach out and say, hey, we don't need you to go. Like, no one.
1: We don't need you to leave?
2: Yeah. Not, not one person.
1: For whatever reason, we have... Four scenarios at OKC First, four scenarios of divorce, and the two formerly married spouses still attend. Uh, I don't know what that is, because we have never... Like, we don't have that meal train thing set up yet. Yeah. I, I think I want to say that habits and practices matter.
2: Yeah. I think they do. What's interesting about it is we both left. It wasn't that he stayed and I left. Okay. We both left, and still, no one, no one reached out.
1: It's I, and and it's because we don't know how to we don't what to yeah. do say.
2: Yeah, I don't and I don't think badly about the church. Right, I mean, they're wonderful people. Right, but it was very interesting. We were both members, like official members, like I said, very involved. I taught Sunday school, <laughs> like wow. I've led quizzing, did Bible Bible quizzing for the kids. You know, was a mm. quizzing coach. So it wasn't
0: a lack of being connected.
2: No, not at all. No, I was a kids' camp counselor the years that we were there. Like, we were very involved with the church. I I was probably even more so than him, um, just in terms of the the serv- specific service to the church. Mm. Um, him more so than me in terms of familial connections, right. but. And I don't know if they ever reached out to him. I I don't think they probably did.
1: Okay, let's make the turn. Yeah. So thank you first of all. You've been you've been awfully gracious with your story, and I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and I hope people know like how much courage it takes to come here and sit here and, uh, with a microphone in your face and, <laughs> yeah. and talk about something extremely personal. Um, so. a giant microphone it is a giant yeah. microphone
2: I mean, it's, by the way. it's like a normal
0: size microphone <laughs> i don't know that seems it's like a, a normal a it's a bit. normal size microphone
1: can we get some more normal size microphones? i mean i used
2: to sing on stage this is I, okay. a it's, big it's, microphone
0: it's, it looks like a torpedo it's called a shotgun mic it's little longer than
1: normal but it's normal for like what it is I'm just gonna to have to take your word for Do it. You it see looks how intimidating. His is a different
2: size than ours? You know right,
1: what? ours look like they're aimed like in violent ways at us, and his is they just are like, shotgun mics, So well, I'm uncomfortable with ironically named. You know, yes. they
2: shotgun also goes along with weddings. Like it's it, it very
0: ties wow. Really, we did plan this. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's amazing. We
1: spare no expense.
2: I mean, I can tie everything back in because something <laughs> psychological, so it's fine.
1: Um. I would like to know. Let's let's not be bound by what we've seen.
2: Yeah.
1: Let's let's. And I think I think in the Greek they call it thinking outside of the box. I don't know if that's Greek. It
2: <laughs> that uh, sounds like English. Yeah, yeah. it really yeah, sounds you, a lot very much that. like
1: English. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's let's dream. What 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 are some things that we can do? But also help us to know. Um, give us some ideas of some things that we we should absolutely not do. Or say yeah. Maybe we should right? start there.
2: Okay, let's so start there.
1: What what are bad practices?
2: Bad practices are letting people go without checking on them. Okay,
1: okay. Pastoral uh, care matters.
2: Yeah, absolutely, completely matters.
1: Let's give our audience time to write that down. Yeah, guys, pull
2: over. Do you want me to say it again? Do you need yes. to
0: like write and like get some paper and a pen? Do yeah, people use that anymore. Let's not,
1: not check on people. It's, uh, right. It's so simple. It's, but but it's. Uh,
2: And don't make assumptions about what happened.
1: Do we even need to know what
2: happened? I mean, we're human. We want to know. We want to know. We want to know. But we don't
0: need to know. We
2: don't need to know.
0: And we don't need to choose sides. But for some reason, we need an enemy. We We need something to be mad at.
1: We probably shouldn't assume that sin has taken place right?
2: I agree. Yeah.
1: We should not assume that there has been evil done. Now, perhaps evil has been done. And if, if that becomes a part of what someone wants to bring to the church or to the pastor for the purpose of pastoral care, that can and should be given in those circumstances, that's great. Short of that, I think it, it becomes a dangerous and off-putting assumption to, to concoct a story and assign blame and victimhood, right? Absolutely. Okay. So I, that's something we, we shouldn't, I do talk. want to clarify one thing. Okay. Uh,
0: Cause I, I said specifically pastoral care, um, when, uh, in terms of reaching out, um, you're not necessarily talking specifically about pastors, which pastors should reach out, but right. also, I'm talking about everyone. Literally there. anybody. Yeah. Anybody. So just care. A church that cares. Yeah. Just, right. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify that. Like, Make sure we're right. on the same page about
2: that.
1: What else should we not do or say?
2: Um, I I think sometimes people are... So you have on one end individuals who are too involved, right? Like they mm. want to know the details. But then we end up with people who don't want to bring it up at all because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like right. we know what happens. Right. So ask how you're doing. Okay. I mean, don't pretend like it's not there. Okay. So... Yeah.
0: Like people who don't want to talk about it in the name of... Protecting right. and like not offending. And right. not it's the same hurtful. thing with somebody
2: who's sick. Like, you know, they're sick. Right. You don't want to get involved into like, tell me exactly what's going on with your condition. Right. But you can say, how are you feeling today? Do you need anything?
1: Right. The don't pretend like the hurts.
2: sickness yeah. isn't there.
0: Yeah. The silence is what hurts.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, because they know that that gorilla's in the room. Yeah. And for you not to acknowledge it, it's going to be hard for me to feel care from you. If you're not going to acknowledge acknowledge the thing that has hurt so badly.
2: Right. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so check on people. Actually, we've asked, what should we not do? So don't not check on people. (laughs) That was good. You like that? Well-worded. And don't not acknowledge the gorilla in the room. Right?
2: But don't ask too many personal details that you don't need.
1: Okay, so don't be nosy. Yeah. Be caring, but don't be nosy. Right. There's a sweet spot in there. There
2: yeah. is a sweet spot. Yeah. But it's a sweet spot that people can find.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's manageable.
1: Don't ask zero questions and don't ask a thousand questions. Right. 500. That is the number. <laughs> Somewhere in between too few and too many.
2: 462.
1: Yeah. Right. That Something is in the in there. Write
0: that down.
2: That's right. right.
1: Okay. Uh, anything else that you would say that comes to mind what what are some things that we should not do or say?
2: Well, I think it goes along with it, but don't villainize individuals, right? So,
1: yeah, yeah, I do think it's an unhealthy practice, and perhaps not just within this conversation to go looking for somebody to blame. Right. <laughs> that doesn't feel like that exercises the best muscle groups that we have. But what? So now let's get creative. What what can we do? And should we should we divide these questions up between uh, what can be done for spouses and then what can be done for kids, or or should we not separate those two?
2: I think you can separate it that way. You can also separate it in terms of what can we do as a church to prevent this from happening in the first place. Okay. And also, what can we do as a church after this is so prevention
1: occurred. and and then let's after end there. with prevention. Okay. So tell us tell us some things that. Uh, Would have been helpful, some things that we can do right now because we have families going through it right now. Okay. So, what can we do?
2: I would absolutely recommend support groups at the church. Okay. So, as I mentioned, divorce care was, I mean, it was my lifeline. Yeah. Especially for things like. Um, grieving the things that you missed. So I mentioned the family, you know, the extended family that I wasn't prepared for, but losing half your belongings, losing pets, losing, I mean, all of the things that you were not prepared for. One of the divorce care sessions had us list everything Ooh. and then grieve it, like oh. go through it. I mean, it was painful. It's
0: gut-wrenching.
2: But it was beautiful to acknowledge everything.
1: We, we have- That's just one of them. We have a we have used this term divorce care now several times. We have. For, I somebody in the audience won't know what we're talking
2: yeah, about. Yeah, I should be clear what divorce care is. It's an actual program. Okay. That uh, is a national program, like Parenting with Love and Logic. Different programs that churches can um, join okay. to provide classes. Okay. We do celebrate recovery here. Right. It's a similar kind of concept. Concept. Is it
1: therapist led?
2: It is not. It is usually led by individuals who have gone through the circumstances with enough room on the other end that they can provide some guidance and healing. Okay. Um, The voice of experience. Yes, the voice of experience. The one that I attended at Bethany First Church had four leaders and we only had about eight or nine participants, so we're not talking about a huge group. but or
1: thirteen people. Yeah,
2: enough that we would, you know, watch a video, have a workbook, have a discussion, but that there was enough facilitation that it wasn't one person in charge. Okay. And both males and females. Um, we are at this church starting a new support group. Mm-hmm. It's not divorce care, which is a very specific type of workshop. But it is going to be called Survive and Thrive. Mm -hmm. Right now, it is for women only. And Mm -hmm. it starts the first Saturday in February is the first one of those sessions. Um, But it is for women who are going through divorce or who have been through or feel like it is potentially on the horizon. Right. Yeah. They can come and share their experiences and experience hope, which I think is a big part of that.
1: Uh, Is it a weekly Divorce care, is it a weekly thing?
2: Yes, I think it was 12 weeks total. 12 weeks,
1: hour, two hours per session? We did it
2: on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 7.30. Okay. I I believe it's been a few years.
1: Okay. And uh, the intention is for us to start with Survive and Thrive Mm -hmm. and then move fairly quickly into a divorce care um, resource.
2: Which is beautiful because other churches are now...
1: Not taking a break from things. that, right? Um, so we'll stand in the gap there, hopefully,
2: which I think would be amazing.
1: Okay, what, what about your precious girls? Love them both, they smile a lot, they're as sweet as they can be. What can a church do for? Kids in your kid's situation? Well,
2: I will say one thing that is different about my kid's situation than most right. is that one agreement my ex and I made very early on is that they would go to the same church every single week, regardless of who had custody.
1: Oh, man. Wow.
2: So that was, and that is not, not typical. T- that is not at all. typical. So that was one thing. Being raised <laughs> in the Nazarene church, both of us, um, we quickly agreed that they would stay in the Nazarene church. He now attends a Baptist church, but they would stay in... The, not that I have anything about, against Baptist individuals, no, but they would they no. would stay in the Nazarene <laughs> right, church right? and that they would come with me regardless of whether or not it was his time or not. Wow. So on Sunday mornings, they come with me. On Wednesday nights, they come with me. That was huge. So to the extent that there can be... Um, sameness. Sameness, stability. yeah. Stability in terms of church interaction, that has been an amazing part of their ability to cope with the divorce situation. Okay.
1: Does the same hold true for kids and teens that we said about, I I think we were talking about adults before, Uh, ask how folks are doing? And, and acknowledge that something has happened?
2: Yeah, my kids would probably say they don't want even people to know that okay. things are happening. They,
0: they are on the, the reserved, shy side of Both things. Both of yeah. my kids
2: are a little more introverted than I am. So, um, th- th- but I would say, yeah, even if you don't say, hey, I know your parents are getting divorced. How are you doing? <laughs> Just to even like give them a hug and say, right. love you, praying for you. Which I know it, things are it, tough. It's a really, right. it's a really big deal.
1: Okay. We, I mean, and I, yeah, you can do that without. You can ask, "How are you doing?" and even acknowledge the gorilla, without, without yes, right,
2: without saying, "Hey, you see this gorilla in here?" Right, like
1: without naming the gorilla. Right, right, right.
2: There are other resources. The Gorilla's that I would, name is divorce. That's, that's right. What I was saying. Wow,
1: you have yeah, a weird name for a gorilla. Okay.
2: I know. <laughs> Yeah. There are other resources, though, that I, I should mention. Yeah, yeah. Um, my kids ended up not needing them, but we originally talked about potentially using them right next door to the church. Is Calm Waters.
0: We have Shout used out. them before. We do love Calm Waters. And they Jordan have. Park. Jordan yeah, Park.
2: they have divorce groups for kids yeah. whose parents are experiencing divorce, and it is an amazing resource.
1: They're phenomenal.
2: They yeah. are great. And there are other resources around the city, but that one in particular is one that I would love to mention.
1: You seem to you seem to uh, have a soft spot in your heart for therapy.
2: I do. I'm a psychologist. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, are you into this? I was just spine. sort of leading yeah. you right into yeah. that one, teeing that one up for you. Uh, well, I do think sometimes that I, I, for various and sundry reasons, again, there are places in the world where faith seems to preclude therapy. Like there are, there are some people who who don't understand therapy. I would put it in the category of providential means and agencies, which is a fancy way to say if your leg gets broken, don't just pray about it. Go to the doctor and pray about right. it. Right. Have your leg set. In the same sort of way, if there has been trauma... Yeah. In one's life, uh, of any age, any any a person of any age, providential means and agencies means that yes, we talk about it, yes, we'll pray for one another, yes, we'll put our arms around one another, and all that stuff is essential, and we will extol the virtue of therapy. Absolutely. That's good faith.
2: Absolutely.
1: It's bad faith to not have some faith in therapy.
2: I completely agree.
1: All right. I am not a therapist. I was about to say, I should say I am not a
2: therapist.
1: You're you're an I'm you're a, researcher. a Research psychologist. Right.
2: That's right. But I wholeheartedly believe in therapy as a healing yeah. agent.
1: We have lots of therapists here, which makes us a, a – I love it. It makes us a sensitive and reflective congregation. Yeah. Um I mean they're all odd people, but still. I mean are. I think Ron all psychologists
2: Wright. are odd people. <laughs>
0: Ron Wright is a weirdo for Man, sure.
1: Man, <laughs> have you met Paul Jones? <laughs> Uh, they're great they're yeah, great actually they're
0: are there other 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 things that we could be doing better or creating
2: yeah so some other things that i was thinking about and in addition to the meal train yeah. which i think is a great idea um offering to provide childcare for newly divorced individuals separated individuals would have been huge
0: i'm like angry at how much sense that makes and that Seriously. we don't do it. like it's so simple
2: yeah but. so especially for individuals who um work during hours that are outside yeah. of normal school hours you know that are maybe used to having the other parents stay home during that time um, that's it, a it's a really that would be big a really deal. big resource there yeah because also... your
1: financial situation changes and the church can come alongside there because the financial situation changes such that perhaps a job will be in jeopardy because now you're having to pay for China Right, here. right? That's yeah, a great
2: thing.
0: I, I just keep thinking of uh, our safe families thing and how they that that is structured that's what that in, is in a team mm-hmm. model where there's there's multiple advocates for one um, for one individual and how life-changing that would be if we had that sort of model for people in our congregation who get divorced that we could have a team surround them of of people who can help resource who can help babysit, who can help. Meal train who can all the things that you end up needing.
2: Well, and a lot of times housing situation changes. Yeah. So I mean another thing to grieve, right, is yeah. the loss of a house, loss of furniture. I mean you're moving, so yeah. even help moving into a new place. And we
0: were talking off pod about how
1: horrible it is to see a new house and how much we hate moving. Speaking of grieving, 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 all the loss. I, I think I don't I think the church does not do well with bad news sort of as a genre.
2: That's true.
1: (laughs) Right. So I, I think sometimes it's, that's the reason not too long ago, Zach, and you helped us design the logo and, and help us to think through the imagery for a series we did over the summer called cover Psalms. And so many of the, of the Psalms that we were asked by the lectionary to, to sort through over the summer were lament Psalms. And, uh, it it was the stark realization. I remember when we when we first kinda of, it kinda of hit us like, oh wow, there's a lot of these. So there's a lot of these psalms that are meant to navigate us through hard times, dark times that cause you to ask really hard questions of God. And we just would prefer as, as good church people just to not acknowledge the bad news. No, we're seeing this as a trend like in the
0: larger big sea church. Yeah. As we you know, uh talking to Pastor Tamra um off pod. I've said off pod twice in like two minutes and I sound off horrible. Off pod. I hate that. Like I just mm, sound like so a pretentious cool. <laughs> like podcaster. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you but probably ta- have a beard. But talk it I do. Yeah. <laughs> I've been talking to Tamra about like the the trend in the church is to is to stray away from lament, um, as we're looking for new songs and all the, the top forty Christian songs are are all about victory and happy. And like, let's, let's not, let's just push the bad feelings down where when we were, wa- when we walk through the Psalms, uh, it's, it is striking how many. Unavoidable. Unavoidable. I mean, a, a large perceptor, a higher percentage than you think are lament Psalms. And we, as the church have done, we are not very great at lamenting. Right.
2: I was even having this conversation in my head on the way here about like what the takeaway, what is the takeaway from this entire thing? And it was that, you know, God loves me despite my brokenness. Mm. No, no. Cause that makes it sound like the brokenness right. is a bad thing. Right. So God loves me because of my brokenness. Well, no, mm. I mean, we weren't created initially to, to be that. broken, mm-hmm. right? right? God loves me through my brokenness. Mm. And that's the way that I have to think about all of this. Like, yeah. God doesn't love me because I'm divorced or in spite of my divorce. God loves me through.
1: Oh, that's beautiful.
2: The divorce.
0: That's why it's important that we lead off our services with God's mind about who's made up. Yeah. And the news is good.
2: It's been amazing. I mean, and that, we mm. can't hear that enough. I want you to know we can't hear that enough, even if it feels repetitive.
1: That's good to hear because some folks almost build up a resistance to it. And by that I mean, well, if that's true, then it then are you saying it doesn't matter how I live? Like if 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 I kinda get this if God's mind about me is made up and can't be changed, then why am I behaving? Which I think misses the point. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad to hear you say that. I I have another, I have another. I don't think it's an odd question. It doesn't feel odd in my head, but <laughs> you are kind of. I'm a psychologist. You know. It's gonna right. be fine <laughs> <me>. You know, <laughs> <That's it's- weird. laughs> there's a there's a person we haven't talked about. Uh, uh, someone that I like to refer to as Awesome Mike. Oh, he's just the <laughs> best. I love him. Your your husband. Uh, how has he? And again, where our our podcast isn't so much about divorce as much as it is the experience of divorce while attending church or the experience of attending church having experienced a divorce maybe sure. that's a better way to say sure. it sure how has mike done here right and what can we do for mike
2: yeah it's it's an interesting situation most people don't know that mike is also divorced so he's quite a few year, years younger than me. Don't judge. No. Um, <laughs> but he was previously married, and his wife left him because he can't have children of his own. Mm. So, it's own situation. So, and I think he's okay with me saying I like hope sharing so that. It was Too late just now.
1: Ten million people know, just heard right? that. Yep, can't I? edit that. Ten million. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's um, underreported. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, we're a little bit of an estimate. <laughs> issue there? But so. I mean, he had experience with the same thing, um, in terms of divorce and broken expectations and disappointment and things. But he was specifically interested in marrying somebody who had children. So mm. have, have a little bit of a different experience there too. But he came into the marriage with no children of his own, biologically speaking, and knowing that that they, my children, our children, still have a father. With whom they have contact. Right. So, um, knowing that he wasn't going to be the dad, but a dad, yeah. was a different expectation for him. So, from the very beginning, we were very careful to not call him a stepdad. He's a bonus dad, he's mm. a, another dad <laughs> a, a, that mm-hmm. they get to mm-hmm. have. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he gave them these beautiful bracelets at our wedding reception here. Um, that talk about how he had been wanting them his entire life. He's known since he was 15 that he couldn't have children and oh, has wow. since that time um, wanted to have children and been praying for his children. So the idea that he can parent such amazing kids has been a dream come true for him. It is difficult for him sometimes still having I, I think he has a decent relationship with my ex-husband. Uh-huh. I mean, they don't have a bad relationship. I, uh-huh. they, they don't really have a relationship, but right. he doesn't have any ill feelings towards right. him. But knowing that he has to share that responsibility, knowing that he's not gonna be the one to walk them down the aisle is mm. difficult sometimes to think about that from that kind of perspective. Um,
1: is church ever awkward for him because of the the, the divorces?
2: I don't think that he has ever felt awkward here Uh. because of that. No. And we've even had some times where their dad has come when the girls were baptized, for Mm. example. Um, Both sets of families were here and participated in that. Their dad actually is the one who lit the candle while I read their scriptures and their testimonies. And it was a beautiful moment of being able to participate in that together. Okay. So I think it's been okay. But I mean, I'm sure there is a piece of him that wishes that he could have been up there lighting the candle himself. Did he grow up Nazarene? He did not. He okay. grew up in a non-denominational...
1: Okay. So he did grow up in a church he in did. An, an evangelical even yes. situation. Yeah. Do you... Have you guys talked to... I'm sure you have, but does he also sense that that divorce is is can be at some places something of a scarlet letter and then it's for sure a taboo topic? And how has he navigated that?
2: That. Yeah, absolutely. So he's from Arkansas. Oh,
1: well, um, i not say no that, more. That
2: completely <laughs> explains all of it, right? <laughs> um, he's from Arkansas. So, Just and, kidding. and no came thing. from a beautiful, the beautiful Northwest part of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, his parents divorced when he was 15. So okay. he has a little bit of a different experience, personal experience than mine in terms of That's growing key. up, right? Um, and a, at a really critical moment in his own personal development is when that. When that divorce happened. So I think he had different expectations of what divorce would look like because he saw what it looked like from the church perspective when his parents split. Yeah. So yeah. his experience was different.
1: Okay. Do you think... So you mentioned earlier in our Survive and Thrive effort, it is it is right now for women.
2: It is right now for women, yes. It is right
1: now for women. Can I... Uh, well, I won't assume anything. Do you think it is equally important that we do something that is uniquely for men.
2: I think there needs to be something for men. Yes. Okay. Now, whether or not that needs to be a separate class, that is a different support group, maybe, um, especially if, if it comes to a point of those classes turning into looking for new spouses, like that. We don't. We don't need that to be happening. Well, that
1: took a turn right there, didn't it? I mean. It? <laughs>
2: Sorry to, to bring no, that up. No, no, no. I no, mean, that's interesting. No, it is real. It's real. So it real. we don't necessarily need that to be occurring. Right. Um, especially when one of the the divorce care um, lessons is about waiting to date. Okay. And okay. that being a really difficult thing to do. So um, it is
1: important that we have some resources for men.
2: Absolutely. Okay. I would say just as important for men as it is for women. Okay. Just probably and,
0: not... The same At Maybe the same not. Time. Maybe not
2: together. Yeah. So maybe together. Maybe not together. I but don't
0: like, know. In the right. same, but in the same church, I mean, that would be a little tough if somebody
1: got divorced in the church. And if then the two go, exes then had to go to the same right. great right. So now let's let's move toward prevention. Yeah.
2: Okay. Does that work? Absolutely.
1: Like I'm I'm curious, especially again, as you wear the research psychologist hat. What are some things that we ought to be talking about let's say with our young people, with our with our young adults, with our college students, with our high school and middle school and even children, what should we be talking about that if we will talk about them faithfully, they can help us uh, navigate hopefully hopefully navigate around these kinds of situations?
2: Yeah. so one of the first things I, I went to Southern Nazarene as my undergrad. Where's where it to begin. I don't even know where it is. <laughs> just somewhere just close to here. Like, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah,
1: Bethany. I've been there.
2: Yeah. Great school. Yep. Right? Yep. Mike we're is, all
1: alums in this room, I believe. Yep. yep we Mike is there.
2: even doing his master's degree there right now. Whoa. So we're I mean, great school. Love the school. Um, and I taught there for a dozen years. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm very happy with it. I will say, we're not allowed to say but, by the way, because if you say but, then everything before that. Is negated. Like oh. you don't say. Oh, so say, you, like, don't say but? you don't say. Hey, I love you, but you're making me like, angry. Because hey, then John, all you hear, like,
1: you're really good at dad jokes, but. But. You know whatever. Can we say and? Yes. Or however. How no, however not. is kind of like a but. Fancy however but. However is, is like, like but. A but but hey. and is better. And is good. So you right. can say. No buts allowed.
2: Right. It's exactly right. So that's. That's a, school, that's a marriage rule. Okay. Right. You don't say. I love you, but you're making me angry. You say I love you. And I'm frustrated right now. So. Anyway, I love the school and, and there is a running joke that is a joke, but not really a joke of ring by spring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. That idea of you're here for a degree, but you're also here for the MRS. It's
0: the MRS degree.
2: So one thing that I think we need to do better at teaching our college students is that they're not in a hurry. Okay. Don't be in a hurry. And this starts not just at the college level, but talking earlier. to teenagers mm-hmm. and even earlier than that. So the biggest thing is that you're not in a hurry. Okay. Wait. If you don't know who you are, and research is now suggesting that even own identity development continues to happen until even as late as about 24 years of age. Hmm. If you don't know who you are, it's really difficult to ask somebody else to love you for who you are. Um, Or to love somebody for who he or she is when that person isn't fully committed to that identity just yet. Okay. Who you are, your interests, what you believe, all of those things are still being explored. Okay. And so research also suggests that the longer you can wait to get married, the less likely you are to divorce. Really? Up until about the age of 25.
1: Okay. So at, at the age that, of
2: 25, waiting additional years doesn't really help. It doesn't hurt, but it doesn't help. You okay. don't get any additional benefits. Okay. So I jokingly tell well, jokingly and not so jokingly mm-hmm. tell my kids that I'm not paying for a wedding before they turn 25.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> wow. yeah. Incentive.
2: So, right? Right. They're going to wait. Kidding, not kidding. Right. I'm mm-hmm. kidding. Yeah. Not really kidding about that. Um. So talking about don't be in a hurry, especially okay. now that we are living so much longer than we were hundred years ago, yeah. you've got an entire lifetime to live with a spouse. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I think makes especially religious individuals likely to marry young is our failure to talk about premarital sex. Hmm. So intercourse before the age of 16, having children before marriage, having... Unwanted intercourse are all predictors of, of divorce. divorce. Huh. But one of the things the church doesn't do well is talk to individuals, talk to kids about what it means to have sex outside of marriage. By the way, statistics are that 97% of individuals will, before they're married, have sex outside of marriage. That is a staggering okay. number. Okay. So it's happening. It's yeah, happening. And right. it's happening...
0: Numbers are telling us it's happening.
2: Two-thirds happen in high school. Two-thirds of youth are having sex in high school. So what we're not doing well is telling kids, first of all, what that means, Mm -hmm. uh, how to do it safely if it's going to happen, which is Mm -hmm. a different discussion for a different day. And then what that means in terms of your relationships and your marriage. So I know individuals who are raised in the church who take that... Um, the two become one flesh incredibly seriously so that the moment that they have intercourse with their first partner, 16, 17, 18 years old, they're married. They feel like they're married. They feel like there is no other choice but to but continue to on yeah. with that relationship. Mm-hmm. And not realizing that they can come back from that decision and make a better final decision with a relationship later on, right. if that comes yeah, right. saying that. We've had
0: really unhealthy ways of talking about purity and uh, the theology of sex. and.
2: Oh, we had purity um, rings, rings and the wind, ceremonies. Purity
0: retreats. Like, yeah. The problem with it is like once, once you violate your purity then what do you do under that code under that way of thinking then there's no coming back right there's you're lost truly lost and and one thing that was hard um for me uh growing up in the church the you had purity theology and you all you heard was just don't do it just don't do it no 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 don't don't even think about it don't do it um it's wrong if you're thinking about it. it's wrong if you're doing it and then something happens when you get married the green light turns on and you're like all right go and I haven't been set up well at that point to understand or to have any kind of grasp on why it's now okay that I can um, be intimate without any repercussion. Right. Like for some reason, my purity is
1: doesn't matter anymore
0: at that point. I don't
1: know. Yeah, we don't talk well about sex. Oh, no. I mean, that's, that's another... Taboo episode that I'll probably have you do by yourself. Zach. Oh. But still, uh, <laughs> wait, no, <laughs> just, wait, like literally, just, just me right, talking to you. I'm just going to vamp and right, monologue lock the door. In here. <laughs> um, but no, I think the some. Uh, no, I won't be that dramatic. I I think we have had the tendency to stop our Christian education, for lack of a better term, at no. Yeah, um, and when that happens, there. Uh, I think you almost unleash a curiosity and, an, and a desperation you for information. Me, you told
0: me one time, if we tell somebody to not think about a tiger, then they're going to think about a tiger. Right.
2: So there's two issues here. One is called psychological reactance. When you're told you can't do something, all of a sudden it becomes that much more attractive to mm-hmm. you. It's the dad telling the girl she can't date the bad boy, right? Okay. And he was a little attractive and now he's super attractive, psychological reactance. But you also have this idea of thought suppression. So the more you're not supposed to think about something, the more it rebounds in in the mind. Okay. Two different, but very similarly related kinds of things. One about the frequency with which you think about it, because you're not supposed to think about it. Don't think about a white bear. And now all you can think about is
1: the polar polar bears bears
2: from the Coca-Cola commercials, (laughs) right. right? Um, and now, it's not just that you're thinking about it more often, but it's also more attractive to you.
0: Those polar bears are pretty cute.
2: They are cute. I love them. Right? Isn't there a penguin in the new commercial?
0: I have no idea. I'm, You know, I'm not a Coca-Cola guy. but oh, We're I not do. friends anymore. I do like the commercials. Okay. Or Pepsi. That's fine.
1: Do you think Alicia... Well, first of all, what I want you to do is, is I would like for you to have I w- would like for you to help me rethink a premarital class because I I want to have this list of predictors in mind. Okay, like, these, I'm going to give you my textbook. Actually. Okay, <laughs> these predictors of divorce. We'd like to have those in mind, but at the same time, I also I also want a premarital counseling experience, for lack of a better term, to be real world. Yeah. Linda, if 97%, uh, and my suspicion is the last 3% were lying anyway.
2: <laughs> the last 3% are the ones who got married as soon as they possibly could so that they could.
1: Okay. All right. So 97%, we're well beyond the threshold uh, that would require us to think a better thought and, and have better... Quality conversations that have to get beyond don't you dare. Right. right? So, uh, I want you to help me write that curriculum if you don't mind. And then just, you know, in okay. the next 45 minutes or so. Um, I'll get right on that. But given that 97%, that, that's really stuck with me. We probably need to work into our discussion of love and relationship and sex. Kind of a where do we go from here? Since way 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 more of our people need to hear that than don't you dare?
2: Right. Yeah. Right?
1: right. Now here's the, the a, a difficult question, and I'm, and I'm certainly we don't have to be done talking about prevention, and maybe this is sort of in line with that. Um, could anything have been said to you, or, or what might have been said to you as you think through your? Your teenage upbringing, how could the church have helped you to have a conversation that might have been able to help you perhaps avoid or at least help you through, like you said, the situation that you went through?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think doing premarital counseling before you're in a relationship might actually even be. Pre
1: relationship counseling. Yeah.
2: So, like, let's stop having these conversations with couples until they're engaged two weeks before their wedding, which is when a lot of the marital counseling happens. By the way, we went to one session, my ex and I did. We filled out a questionnaire about our oh beliefs and we were completely opposite. It's in my little scrapbook that we were completely, it's a funny, like, ha ha, look at how different we are one session before we were married. And so I, let's not wait until before we get married.
0: Like, are you talking like when you're in a serious dating relationship? No,
2: before you date. Before like, you let's... even date. Let's talk about relationships.
1: She's not necessarily saying, "Hey, I think I might ask you out later." Let's you're not saying that. I'm just that. clarifying that. I'm talking that. about yeah. like, we're
2: doing we're pre-marital, youth group
1: stuff. That'd be a bowl. Premarital
2: flex. counseling. Outright. Yeah,
1: right. Like, oh I'm thinking about you, thinking about me.
0: By the way, John pre- Flex is what the kids say like when they're like when they're showing
1: off. Oh, I thought that's what you do in the mornings. Well, I do that too. <laughs> <laughs> Show off to myself. Anyway. Well. Sorry. That's Back to that's right. that's yep. that's <laughs> Sorry.
2: But let's do these classes, yeah. these sessions with teenagers as they're starting Day 8, before they're serious, that talks about things like communication and violence in relationships. You know, there's so many statistics, too, about teenagers that are in abusive relationships, and they've never heard of those things before. Like, what – what does that look like? Doing those things, talking about power and violence and communication and exchange relationships versus communal relationships. And what is love? Like at a a romantic level, not, I mean, we we talk a lot about God's love. How does that translate to what that looks like for a romantic partner? Um, Having those conversations really early on would have been beneficial to me how do we deal with conflict in relationships i was not prepared for that at all
1: well to be fair i also don't and i'm i'm sitting here with a very capable youth pastor like he's great he's okay <laughs> i also don't want to put all of that on him
2: no and i don't know that it has to be the right. youth pastor doing right. it that might be a time that you bring in somebody else yeah or a wednesday like wednesday night Alicia or, yeah, yeah. or like somebody else. else. Yeah. I mean my my kids would die <laughs> but I could true. do that. That's true. They can opt out. But you know they Jordan
1: can. would be great. And we have multiple Jordans that would be great in that in that situation. <laughs> right. But a, but I want us to acknowledge at that point two things. One, what a blessing it is. I and mean, how fortunate are we to have other voices that can come in and have that. Like we have a we have a roster that allows us to to have that discussion with our kids and it doesn't have to be Right. A mom of somebody in the group and someone who can come alongside you and pull it off. But how many churches don't have that?
2: Well, then maybe it comes down to several podcasts that can be
1: recorded
2: and played, or maybe Did
0: we just decide we're creating curriculum that we're gonna do? Alicia,
1: that's an amazing thing. God just called Alicia to help us create a curriculum. (laughs) the in the the room? <laughs> no, that's how God works. It's interesting, um, but, but that would
2: be good, useful information. That's that's that probably could use.
1: our responsibility to help other folks to have that conversation.
2: Yes, a lot. Right? Yeah.
1: That's part of that's part of what we feel like we're supposed to do anyway. Young Clergy Network.
2: Yeah. There you go. Let them let them do it. Let them handle it. <laughs> hey,
1: Britt. Guess what you get to do. Okay, in uh, one more thing before we get to rapid fire, right? Right. Um, we're all the time wanting to pray about stuff because prayer is a good thing. Uh, I don't, I don't mean to be too sappy or spiritual about this, but if you, what would your answer be to this question? In the midst of that very painful experience. What would you like for people to have prayed for you? What's the one thing?
2: Well, my own prayers. Okay. As I was curled up in a ball yeah. sobbing on the nights that I was home alone and the girls were not there and he was gone, was just to feel tangible comfort. And so it was, God, wrap your arms around me in such a way that I can feel it. Okay. Tangibly feel it.
1: That's beautiful. Which, again, speaks to not only pastoral care, but a congregational care.
0: The tangible of God.
1: Yeah, I think that I think the church needs to get comfortable with the, the reality that they, at times, get to be the tangibility of the caring God, right? But it also needs to be the place that teaches you to pray when there's not somebody else around. To pray and to pray honestly about the need to feel, to sense, and the audacity to sense that God might actually answer that prayer. Did God ever answer that prayer?
2: Yeah. I mean, there were many moments of, I just feel alone. Just don't let me feel alone. Yeah. And praying the prayer itself is in part answer. I know you're there. I know you're there.
1: Yeah, there's a faith in it. So. This has been awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming to do this, and thanks ahead of time for your commitment to write this whole curriculum for and, us and to you're welcome. Premarital. And the uh... yeah, Sure, sure thing. <laughs> oh, oh, do we want to? Yeah,
0: let's go ahead. I mean, let's just speak it into existence.
1: Um, well, why don't we ask her if she would be willing to do such a thing, That's or fair. put I'm her on the spot? She's going to say yes. So, okay. But... Alicia. I
2: mean, I teach a close relationships class. I can make it an assignment.
1: Okay, <laughs> this is great. Now you've also studied uh, and recently have traveled to speak about uh, pornography. I have. Speaking of taboos, yeah, yeah,
2: um, I'm all about them. Apparently, <laughs> yes, speaking about them.
1: Crushing the taboo game. <laughs> sometime in the future, sometime in the in the near future, let's say it like that. Would you yeah. please come back and talk to us about about what you've discovered about pornography in the in the hopes. That we can, again, help people to talk honestly and to circumnavigate around things that might otherwise become real.
2: I absolutely would. Challenges. Okay. Now, I'm a bit of a nerd, as you've figured out, that I come with a lot of statistics. Love it. Okay. Fine. About numbers, about the people, number of people who... I pushed up my
0: glasses a little
2: bit more on my forehead. So when <laughs> I said that I was a nerd? <laughs> well, actually. Pornography
1: yeah. statistics. Uh, yeah. Seems like a terrible rock group name actually it's like, the worst it's ever no <laughs> nor would it be a good blog title either that would be terrible that would be a bad blog title
0: yeah and this seems like as good a transition as any to get us into uh, oh, everyone's favorite segment. captain segway I that's like right it. that's right captain segway You have mm-hmm. the salute. um <laughs> but uh yeah we're moving to rapid fire questions this is the part of the podcast that we we always end the podcast on this. Uh, we have not prepared Alicia in any way. Nope. Awesome. Um, on the outline, all it says is rapid fire questions. Yeah. Right.
2: Was,
0: yeah. So we're uh, we're just going to alternate back and forth. John, since you're older, you get to go first.
1: If you are, do you do you play any kind of musical instrument? I play the piano. Okay. If you could play any other musical instrument, what would it be? The guitar. Okay.
0: Oh, man. I can Anyways,
2: oh, uh, I know. Wow. By the way, he also is teaching my daughter how to play the guitar, I and she's doing some of and that. She's doing great
0: at it. She yeah. is. Mitchell's great. Um, I'm going to ask you the questions written up here. Uh, if someone made a movie about your life, who would you cast to play the role of you? Oh, wow.
2: You know, somebody a long time ago said that my chin looks like Reese Witherspoon. I don't know the rest okay. of me. None of the rest <laughs> of me probably does. <laughs> So I'm going to say Reese your Witherspoon. Chin. That's great. That's I have so the specific. same chin.
1: That's, I would cast the chin of Reese Witherspoon. <laughs>
2: exactly. I don't know about the rest of me, but <laughs> I'm going to go with Reese Witherspoon.
1: Okay. Um uh we've already discussed that you and I both have something of a uh distaste for country music. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, um, but your the song that is right now on your iPod is
0: What is an iPod? I don't...
1: Oh, did I say iPod? Yeah, what is an iPod? I'm sorry. The song that that is on your 8-track player right now...
2: (laughs) Oh, wow. I'm not that old. Okay.
1: The song that is uh, most likely to be the next one you listen to is...
2: Whatever comes on Caleb when I get back in the car. Okay,
1: Caleb. Caleb. I actually
2: have no music on my phone in iTunes.
1: Are you
0: a monster? I... (laughs) What I listen, happening?
2: I usually listen to books when I'm driving okay, or podcasts okay. when I'm driving. And so. All
0: right. That's what what is the last book you listened to? It well, was
2: a maybe. book about an individual's experience with addiction, actually.
1: Wow. Just
2: light reading. Yeah. Light reading. It's a big deal.
1: Favorite two podcasts. You don't shows. have to say this one. Not this one. You this Excluding this, is... this one and the sermon one, because I don't want to hear it. Well, uh-huh. It's not one of those. So excluding those.
2: They're usually true crime ones.
1: Okay. okay. Which ones? Like I can even cereal? tell you the names of them. Like cereal, that
0: one? Yeah. Oh, I love cereal. It's a
2: great one. Yeah.
0: What's your favorite cereal? Oh. I
2: don't know. That's super like on the, put me on the spot. What's
1: your favorite boxed cereal? Your favorite box. Cereal. Oh, I was like, right. I don't to <laughs> do an episode of a box. Yeah,
2: can you name <laughs> a specific
0: episode from cereal? I don't too? eat cereal. You...
1: Oh, okay. What is your favorite breakfast food?
2: Um, I drink a protein shake for breakfast every day. I respect day. that.
1: Wow. Um, if you could be. Sorry, I'm sorry. If you could be any lunch meat. Turkey. There you go. You could be Fair any enough. lunch meat. Fair enough.
2: Yeah. Eat lunch meat. No, B. Oh, easy. B. That was an easy one. It yeah, was definitely that was, turkey.
0: That was easy, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with the classic. Uh, if you could own a yacht, what would you name it? Mm. Uh, Alicia. Alicia. Oh.
2: <laughs> the Alicia.
0: The Alicia.
1: All right, favorite I mean, restaurant in town.
2: Whiskey cake.
1: I oh, love and me some whiskey, whiskey cake. And
2: my family, not the hugest fans, so we only go for my birthday every year. Oh, that's too bad. I that's know. That's a bummer. What don't they like about it? I don't know. I, I like can't imagine, it, including the whiskey cake. The girls make fun of the chips because they're homemade chips. I don't know. But my birthday is next week, so they're like, "So guess what? Guess where we're guess going where we're for next week?" And I'm cake. like, "Whiskey they're cake on tea." I know. Uh,
0: how do you treat yourself?
2: Uh, I read we Mike and I have um movie theater memberships. We watch a lot of movies. Very cool, and
1: you mean awesome, Mike?
2: Yes, awesome, okay. Mike. Okay. so, and I try to spend as much time with the girls as I can. that's my treat. So.
1: Your girls are a huge compliment to you, Thank especially you. given what you've told us today. Your girls are a huge compliment to you and your ex. Thank you. that you guys have figured out a way. Uh, They're we are we pretty
2: well-adjusted.
1: Yeah. But I mean, how often around here do we use the language of disagreeing Christianly? And those can be sometimes painful disagreements. But when we disagree Christianly, people are affected positively. And when we disagree unchristianly, people are affected negatively. Yeah. Your girls are great. Thank you. They're great. Well,
0: Alicia... Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate you opening opening up to us and talking about something really difficult. So thank you so much. Yep. You're very welcome. Thanks
1: very much. And sure looking did. forward to our next super awkward discussion on this same podcast.
0: Yeah, it's going to be great.
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. All right, bud. All right, Thank we'll you.
0: See you guys. Uh, I'm sorry. I totally
1: cut you off. Uh, oh, I was just saying thanks. No, no go ahead. No, no, wait. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. All right. Later. Bye. Okay, bud. <laughs>